to Mark chapter 1. I'd like to read the first 13 verses in the or excuse me, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. What we're going to see as we go through this first chapter of the book of Mark, we're going to see that there are key words and key events that Mark includes in his gospel, key words to help us understand what he considers important, how important the concept of good news is, how important it is to understand the person of Jesus Christ, how important it is to understand that he is the God-man. Mark wants us to see that, and we're going to see that through the words he chooses throughout the first chapter, and then next week we'll see through the events, the key events that happen, the coming of John the Baptist, the ministry of John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, and then the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the desert, all of which we will get to next week. Uh, but for this week, we're concentrating on who is this person, Jesus Christ, and what, what is unique about him? What is special about him? What is important about him? So that's where we're going this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer, and then we'll dive into the word. Lord God, thank you for the privilege of studying your word. Thank you for the authors of scripture who were led by you, inspired by you. You breathed out your word and used them, their language, their lives, their experiences to record exactly what you wanted us to know. So help us, Lord, to see that this morning. Help us to get out of this text all that there is for us so that we may walk more obediently, we will love you more, and we will worship you as we should. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, there are important words throughout this, this first chapter that we're going to focus on this morning. The first is gospel. And you might say to yourself, well, doesn't everybody know what gospel means? Uh, this is a gospel, the mark. And there are three other Gospels. What are they? 
Okay, I'll wait. No, that's good. Good job, yeah. John, uh, Matthew, and Luke, and Mark are the Gospels. You say, well, everybody knows what the Gospel is. Well, uh, I wonder if we, we really uh, can sink our teeth into what it is when the Gospel writers, particularly Mark, whom we're studying now, I wonder if we can really understand uh, uh, how, what, they, what they were thinking of and how they thought about it. We think about good news, but our good news is, is nowhere near the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that a human being can come into relationship with God by putting their faith in his son, who, was, who willingly died on Calvary's tree, the God-man, so that humans could have a way to God. That's an astounding thing. That's an astounding truth called the gospel. That's one of the words that Mark uses here that we're going to explore a little bit. Uh, the, the name of Christ himself, the name of Jesus Christ. What is there in his name that tips us off about his, who he is, his person, and his work, which we're going to see as we go throughout this book, because Mark, as you remember from last week, really focuses on activity. He really focuses on the activity of Jesus Christ, not only the teaching of Jesus Christ. Son of God is another phrase that we will look at in this first chapter because it says so many important things about who Jesus is. You see, not just anybody could die for another person or die for another person's sin. I could go to a cross and die for you, and it would do you absolutely no good. Why? Because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a human being with a sin nature. My death for you would not do you any good whatsoever. Well, why did Jesus' death do you any good? Why did Jesus' death do you any good? That's what Mark's trying to get at here as he introduces us to Jesus' life as he knew it. Why is Jesus' death different than any other death? And that is all bound up in these words, Jesus, Christ, Son of God, Gospel. It's all bound up. And so through those words, key words, and then later next week through these key events of, the, of John's ministry, John's baptism, Jesus' temptation, through those events, all of those are going to demonstrate how unique Jesus Christ is. Demonstrate why he is different why he is different than any other person. And so that's what we're going to get at this morning. Now, the good news, uh, the gospel rather, is the good news. It literally means good news. And uh, it's also uh, translated as good message or the message sometimes. Uh, as one writer, W.E. Vine, he has uh, he has done a study book entitled The Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. Uh, it is a, it's an interesting source to use as you uh, study the various words of Scripture. He says this about gospel. Gospel in Greek, by the way, is euangelion. Uh, we get evangelism from that word. Uh, euangelion is the good news of the good message Vine says this, in the New Testament, it denotes the good tidings 
of the kingdom of God and of salvation through Christ to be received by faith on the basis of his expiatory death. Now, that's, we need to deal with that word. What does expiatory mean? Uh, it's, a, it's a great theological word, and the idea of expiation uh, is an important concept of the scripture. It means to make amends or to pay a penalty. To make amends or to pay a penalty. Jesus was the expiation for our sins. He made amends for us. He paid the penalty of our sin. And so he is our expiation. His death is our expiation. By the way, the word that goes along with that is called propitiation. Uh, I know you've come across the word in your study of the Bible, particularly 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 talks about propitiation. Propitiation means the appeasement of the wrath of God. God's wrath is satisfied. God's wrath is satisfied by the death of Jesus Christ. God's wrath is satisfied by Christ's sacrifice. So those are, those are two pretty good words to know. Expiation, which means that uh, Christ has paid the debt for our sin. He paid the penalty. He made amends, so to speak, with God. And propitiation, which means God's wrath is appeased. His wrath, remember, God hates sin. So how could it be that God could accept sinners if God hates sin? Well, he is satisfied. What is he satisfied by? He's satisfied by the death of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. He's satisfied by the, the death of the God-man on Calvary's cross in your place and my place. And now when we put our trust in him, we have eternal life. Now, that is such an important thing. That is such an important thing to know that, that death is conquered. Because death is going to come to us all unless we're in the generation that's raptured. Unless we're in the generation of the church that's raptured, caught up in the air with the Lord. Unless we're in that generation, we're all going to experience death. And we all need to be ready for it. Jesus' death on Calvary's cross satisfied God's wrath. It satisfied God's wrath against sin. That's how you and I can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. But it, not just any person. It's not a relationship with any other person. It's a relationship with the, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the God-man. It's a relationship with him. Well, to finish the quote, we kind of got off the track there a little bit with expiation. And don't you love words, though? Love learning words, expiation, propitiation. Let me go back to the quote again. In the New Testament, the gospel or good news de denotes the good tidings of the kingdom of God and of salvation through Christ to be received by faith on the basis of his expiatory, and now you know that means the debt was paid, on his expiatory death, his burial, resurrection, and ascension. Uh, the word gospel is used in two ways in the scripture. The word gospel is used in two ways 
in the scripture. The first way is to speak of the basic facts of the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example of that, and you can turn here if you'd like to, or just write it down for your own study. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a good example of gospel being used to speak of the basic facts of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in chapter 15 and verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold to the hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, here are the basic facts of the gospel that Paul is giving us. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And you Bible students know that fallen asleep is, is a word, is a phrase used in the New Testament to speak of the death of a believer. It's not used of the death of an unbeliever, but it's used of the death of a believer. For, for a believer, death holds no more terror than falling asleep. And Paul says, After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born or born out of time. That's an example of the use of the word gospel, meaning the basic facts of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. The second way the word gospel is used in the New Testament, it's used to speak of the interpretation or the meaning of these facts. The interpretation or the meaning of these facts. We're talking about both today. We're talking about the fact of the gospel, the facts of the good news, but we're also talking about what they mean, what those facts mean. Well, that's, that's gospel. I like the way Larry Moyer summarizes it. It's an easy way for you and for me to remember what the gospel is. The gospel is simply 10 words, and this is not my idea. It is Larry Moyer's idea. Who is Larry Moyer? Larry Moyer is from a, a company, of a ministry called Eventel, E-V-A-N-T-E-L-L, and they do uh, uh, evangelism training. They produce evangelism materials, tracts, books, things like that. Uh, if you ever want to check out their website, you can uh, Google Eventel, and uh, you can check out their website. He reduced the gospel to 10 words that come from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We can all remember 10 words, right? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the gospel in 10 words. Christ died for our sins 
and rose from the dead. Now, that is literally good news or good message. It's the best news that there could be that human beings could come into relationship with the eternal God through Jesus Christ, his son. That is the best news there is. We can have a relationship with God because our sins have been forgiven through the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the best news that can be proclaimed. It is the best news that can be received. Yet, what I wonder is, is the gospel what really excites Christians? Do we really, as believers in Jesus Christ, do we really believe that the most important thing, the best gift given, the best gift that is given, the best message that there is, do we really believe that? Do we really act like we believe that? I have to tell you, when I think about what I hear Christians talking about, when I think about what I talk about, you know, we can get all excited over the NFL playoffs and how our team is going. And our team won! That's the best news. No, it's not. No, it's not the best news. Well, you see, my candidate won office. That's the best news there could be. No, it's not. No, it's not. That may be good news, but it's not the, the good news. It's not the best news. The best news is that you and I, human beings, can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the best news. There is no better news. It should excite us. It should get our blood going, and it seems to be exciting Mark, and it seems to get Mark's blood going. I want you to think about this for the next couple of days. I want you to think about what it is that gets you excited. What is it that gets you excited? Now, now I'm not against other good news. Believe me, I like getting good news, <laughs> just like you do. But I've had to even ask myself as I've studied this and as I've prepared for this morning, I've had to ask myself, wow, do I really treat the gospel with the kind of reverence that Mark is talking about? Do I really see it as the best news there could be? I want you to think about that over the next couple of days. I want you to think about the best news that you could ever get and then realize that the gospel is better news. The gospel is better news. Well, Vine talked about looking at what the scripture says about the gospel and what we should do with it. He said the New Testament teaches us that we must preach the gospel, we must speak the gospel, we must testify to the gospel, we must proclaim the gospel, we must further the gospel, and we must suffer for the gospel. We see that in the New Testament. We see that 
in the lives of the church. The church which preached the gospel, spoke the gospel, testified to it, proclaimed it, furthered it, and suffered for it. See, it's, an important, it's important enough that we should do that. The New Testament also talks about the fact that the gospel, it must be received. It must be believed in. It must be obeyed. So that leads us to the question that each of us must ask ourselves, have I believed the gospel? Have I received the gospel? Have I had a time in my life when I have put my trust in Jesus Christ as God's provision for sin and death? And have I put my trust in him? Not myself, not religion, not my good works. But in Jesus Christ. We have to ask ourselves, have I received the gospel? Have I obeyed? Have I believed in it? The fourth thing that Vine talks about, the gospel must not be perverted. There's a lot of perverted gospels out there. The, the woods are full of cults that believe perverted things about Jesus Christ, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Christian science people who are neither Christian nor scientists. Unity, unification church. On and on and on and on. They pervert the gospel. Why do they do that? They pervert the, how, does, how do they do that, I should say? Because they pervert the person of Jesus Christ. The scripture teaches, and that's where we're going in chapter one here, the scripture teaches about Jesus that he is the God-man. That, that is, he is fully God and perfect man. And by the way, the formulation used to be fully God and fully man. But if the problem with calling him fully man is he doesn't have something that every one of us has. What's that? What? Sin. A sin nature. A sin nature. So that's why the formulation today is he is fully God and perfect man. Fully God and perfect man because he lacks a sin nature. Why does he lack a sin nature? Because he was born by the, the Holy Spirit's action in the body of Mary. And so he was protected. He was protected from a sin nature. So he is fully God, perfect man, Every one of those cults I mentioned denies either the deity of Christ or the humanity of Christ or both. Either the deity of Christ or humanity of Christ. And by the way, they're not new. It's been going on since the early church people denying the, either the humanity or the deity of Jesus Christ. So the gospel must not be perverted. I, I don't have time to read this, but you can... You can uh, uh, write it down for your study. Galatians chapter 1, starting around verse 7. Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse, around verse 7. Paul said, If anybody preaches a gospel different than what I preach to you, and, and he is specifically thinking of those who 
talk are legalists and believe that we are saved by law. Other places, such as 1 John chapter 4, talk about the denial of the deity of Christ and the denial of the humanity of Christ. But Paul says, if anybody perverts the gospel, let them be accursed. In other words, Paul, who said, I become all things for all men so that by all means I might save some. When it came to perverting the gospel, Paul said, let them go to hell. Those who pervert the gospel, let them go to hell. That's how important a thing it was to him. As William Barclay said, to Mark, Jesus was not simply a man among men. He was God among men, ever moving them to wonder and amazement with his words and deeds. He was not simply a man. I like that statement. He was not simply a man among men. He was God among men, ever moving them, ever moving them to wonder and amazement with his words and deeds. Now, there's, there's so much, and I, I don't necessarily want to get too far onto these things, but why, why, do we, why do we believe that Jesus is the God-man? Uh, let, me, let me give you some real quick things about this. Jesus was perfect human, perfectly human, because we read in the scripture that he grew intellectually and physically, we read in the scripture that he desired food. We read that he became tired. We read that he needed sleep. He cried and he died. All evidences of his humanity. But there's also evidence in the scripture of his deity. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he makes it clear later in chapter 1, the word is Jesus Christ, the one who took upon himself human flesh and tabernacled among us. John 14, 9, Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. John 5, John 5 18, Jesus called God his Father, making himself equal with God, which is the reason the religious leaders hated him. Titus chapter 2, 13 says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing, that's talking about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing, appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That formulation, the great God and Savior Jesus Christ is a reference to the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. As is John 20, 28, when Thomas falls at the feet of Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. A recognition of his deity. In John chapter 10, verses 22 to 33, Jesus, because he claimed to be God, the religious leaders picked up, picked up stones to stone him. So the scripture teaches his full 
humanity minus a sin nature and his full deity. He exercised divine works such as creating and sustaining all things, John 1, Colossians 1. He directs and he guides the course of history, 1 Corinthians 10. He forgives sin, Mark 2, Colossians 3. He bestows eternal life, John 10, 1 John 5. He will raise the dead at the resurrection, John 11. He will judge all men, John 5. And then finally, he possessed divine attributes. He exercised authority over nature. He knew the thoughts of people. He had authority over life and death. He is demonstrated to be self-existent, eternal. Here's the theology part, folks, okay? Self-existent, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent. He possessed the moral attributes of God. He was holy, truth, love, and righteousness. He received worship as God, and his attributes and titles ascribed to God in the Old Testament are used in reference to Jesus in the New Testament. He is uniquely the God-man, the Son of God. And it's necessary because he had to be man so he could die, and God so that his death meant something. One writer said the divinity of Christ is the citadel and keep of Christianity. Here lies the infinite value of the satisfaction he made upon the cross. Here lies the peculiar merit of his atoning death for sinners. That death was not the death of a mere man like ourselves, but of one who is over all God blessed forever, Romans 9.3. We need not wonder that the sufferings of one person were a sufficient propitiation for the sin of the world when we remember that he who suffered was the Son of God. How could God be satisfied? Because the one who died for us was the Son of God. Was the Son of God. Son of God is a title in the scripture that points to Jesus' unique relationship with God. It points to his deity. It points to the fact that he is deity incarnate. That's why it's important that we understand who Jesus is. That's why Mark starts there. That's why Mark starts there. The writer of the devotional part of the Daily Walk Bible, which I can recommend to you. I think it's a, it's a good, if you want to do a daily uh, reading and, and uh, just use a daily reading Bible instead of a tract along with a Bible, a Daily Walk Bible is a good one to do. Uh, the writer says this, do you have a balanced view of Jesus Christ? Down through the centuries, Christians have wrestled with the incarnation of Jesus Christ, trying to describe adequately that unique blend of perfect humanity and undiminished deity that he possessed as he walked the face of the earth. Some Christians emphasize his deity 
focusing on the attributes and actions that could only belong to God and forgetting that Jesus ate and slept and wept like other men. Others focus on his humanity, neglecting the many things Jesus did that only God can do. Do we have a balanced view? Do we have a balanced view of the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ? That's some of what Paul wants us to understand. Uh, not Paul, but uh, Mark wants us to understand. Mark wants us to understand how important the good news of the gospel is. He wants us to understand who Jesus Christ is. Even in his names, Jesus is the divinely given personal name of Jesus, the name given by the angel Gabriel to Mary, given by an unnamed angel, probably Gabriel, to Joseph in his dream. The name given to Jesus. At his. Um, I lost it here. <laughs> uh, the name given to Jesus at his circumcision. That is uh, John. Excuse me. That is Luke 2.21. Christ is a divine title, it's a title that's equivalent to the Hebrew Mashiach, the anointed one. It's used of the anticipated deliverer in the Jewish world who would be God's agent in fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, even in his names. It speaks of his humanity and his deity. Well, let's close with this. Josh McDowell says this in his handbook on the cults. The teaching on the person of Jesus Christ from the scriptures is very clear. He was fully God and at the same time fully man. Any deviation from this position is not only unscriptural, it is also heretical. Those who attempt to make Jesus something less than God cannot go to the Bible for their justification. Therefore, if one takes the Bible seriously, one must conclude that Jesus of Nazareth was God in human flesh. Let's pray. Lord, thank, thank you so much. Help us to be excited about the best news there is that we can have our sin forgiven, that we never need worry about death because Jesus took our sin upon himself. He vanquished death. Help us to be excited about that good news, to share that good news with those around us. Help us to realize how important the gospel is. Help us to realize how important our Savior, that he is fully God, perfect man, and may we relish that and rejoice in that and worship him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.